The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and Joseph named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I always hear first in this is uh, that the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And, and I can't remember, it's been a long time, but there was a comedian once who was talking about Joseph finding out that Mary was pregnant. And, heard, and as he heard Mary tell him that it was going to be the Son of God and that the Holy Spirit had, had conceived this child within her, he said, this better be the only begotten Son of God. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the thing that, that strikes me so much is the idea that, uh, you know, the angel said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. I, I don't think fear would necessarily be the, be the first thing I felt about marrying somebody who was pregnant with a child that wasn't mine. I mean, let's just be really upfront about the way the world is. It's, it's hard, first of all, to get over the idea that, you know, someone, someone is pregnant with God's child. It's happened once that we're aware of. But, but even more, think of, think of what it's like to be in a relationship where you know, your, your relationship is new and you're looking forward to the rest of your life together and you're thinking about all the good things that you'll be able to do together. You think about what it's going to be like to have that child that is yours. You think about what it's like to be able to, to raise that child with the woman you love. You think about all the things that are going to happen and the, the beginning of a new relationship in many ways is a lot like the birth of a child, more for men than for women and the experience of it. But it's, it's like that in terms of what your expectations are. I remember when I, when I first met my wife, you know, she was, uh, she was 18 and I was 22. And I remember realizing right off that she was more mature at 18 than I was at 20. And probably she was more mature at 18 than I am now, if you really want to know the truth. <laughs> but I, I, think, I remember thinking about, you know, all the things that we might be able to do together as I grew to love her. You know, I started thinking about, the night that we got married, I started thinking about what our life together was going to be like, what it would be like to have our children, which we've been putting off because we wanted to wait till we'd been married a little while, and it's only been 16 years. You know, we, 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 I thought about, you know, what, what, what is it going to be like to buy our first house together? What is it, what is it going to be like to have this, this life? And I, I know how difficult it would have been for me had this particular hope been been dashed by her telling me that she was already pregnant 
and the, and the child wasn't mine. You know, think for a moment about how difficult it is to, to establish the kind of trust that allows you to marry somebody. Think about how difficult it is to establish the kind of trust in a relationship that lasts for your entire life. How, how difficult it is. And, and not just in the sense of, uh, you know, what happens if a spouse is unfaithful, but, but there are lots of different ways that, that we break our marriage vows and our relationships with our spouses and that we break confidence and that we break trust. You know, I, my, my love language is I want to tell Lauren how much I love her. Hers is she wants to see me do things, right? And so I'll tell her I, I'll tell her I love you, and she'll say, well, do the dishes. And I'll say, what do the two things have to do with each other? You know, well, doing the dishes helps, me to, helps her to know that I love her, right? And there, there are lots of ways in, in, in our marriage over the years that I've, I've not done the dishes, right? And, and some of them are, are big ways, and some of them are small ways. And sometimes in any relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's parent-child, whether it's people in church, you know, whether it's people at work, when, when trust is given and broken, it is awfully hard to get it back. And, and there are times when I consider any time you're really able to reconcile something that's lucky and blessed, because sometimes when things are broken, they stay broken. And whether we've been married to the same person our whole lives or whether we've married and divorced and either stayed single or married again or however many times you repeat that pattern, whether, whether we're parents of children that we've had arguments with, whether, whether we're children with parents who are stubborn, not my parents, of course, other people's parents, whether, whether we have friends who have, who have just broken our hearts by some of the things that they've said or done to us, any time we're able to reconcile is blessed because that heartbreak is as real in our friendships and in our family relationships and our church relationships as, as it is when we're involved with our spouse or someone romantically, right? And sometimes I think that the heartbreaks we get in church can almost be harder because we, we come to understand things about ourselves when we're married. We come to, I know for me anyway, I came to understand that I'm not anywhere near as reasonable as I thought I was. You know, I'm, I'm not anywhere near as considered as I thought I was. I also have a capacity to love in a way that's deeper than what I thought I was capable. So I've learned good things too. But in church, you come to church thinking that everyone's going to be here on their best behavior. You, you come here not expecting for someone to hurt your feelings. You come here not expecting to hear the passive-aggressive little jabs that sometimes we get from people. You get here, you know, not expecting to have an argument in council. And I know that doesn't happen here, but imagine a church where it did, where, where you might, like, argue about the color of the carpet or where you might argue about what color paint we should put on the walls or what time Sunday school should be or, or whether or not we should have guitars in church or whether or not we should you know, sometimes play the piano instead of the organ, or whether the, the communion set should be in the exact center of the altar that someone has measured and marked so that nobody deviates from it. This is not an experience that I've had, of course. You know, or, or whether sometimes it can be off to the side. You know, we, we come here expecting people to be their best selves, and then when somebody hurts our feelings, you know, in the same way, nobody but the people we love can hurt us as deeply as as other people in our lives, because our defenses are down, when our feelings get hurt at church, it can cut deep. 
And it can cause us to want to hold on to that grudge and hold on to that brokenness and hold on to that broken trust. And sometimes even in church, sometimes when trust is broken, it can never be repaired. You know, that is, I think, why we start off every week with the confession. Part of it is because I have to recognize within myself that I fall short of the glory of God by things that I say and by things that I don't say and things that I do and things that I don't do. But also it's a reminder to us that as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive others, that we are called as people of God who receive this forgiveness from the God who loves us to, to mend fences. We're called to try to restore that trust no matter how broken it is. And in all circumstances, celebrate those times when those relationships can be repaired. And so I think it's for this reason that it says Joseph was a good man, or it says that uh, Joseph was a righteous man. Because when Joseph found out that his, his betrothed was pregnant and it wasn't his, he had every right to break off the relationship. He had every right under the law to not only break off the relationship, but under the Jewish law, she could be stoned. And so not only could he break off the relationship, but he could get revenge. And a lesser person would seek that revenge. And I've had moments in relationships where I think I probably would have sought revenge if I had had the opportunity because I'm a human being like everybody else. And so because Joseph was only looking to break it off, I think it says Joseph was righteous. And so that's also why I say, you know, don't be afraid. Well, fear may not be my first emotion that I think of when I think of whether I continue in this relationship. The, The thing that makes this amazing to me isn't the fact that Joseph did something good. It's that it's one more example of how it is that God takes our expectations and turns them upside down and takes a circumstance that in any other way would be bad and creates something beautiful and good from it. In any other circumstance, a man and a woman who are facing this situation would, would be in deep conflict and deep heartbreak. In their circumstance, the angel tells Joseph that you are a part of something that is good. And you have an opportunity to be part of the plan of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, in a way that you could never imagine. And I hear this Advent message this week, this message of God taking something that is difficult and, and heartbreaking and, and that causes all sorts of different emotions to well up in Joseph and turning it into something good and amazing and new and brilliant And I hear that message in the context of what we as the church are called to be together. You know, because we all live as the church and as people in the church in a a context where we've experienced hurt and heartbreak, both inside these doors and outside these doors. You know, we, we live in a world where we have people who tell us that this world is going downhill fast and you should be afraid of these people and you should hate these people and you should be upset with those people over there and these people over here aren't anything like us so it's okay to hate them. And, and don't forget, you know, you sure deserve all those things that you want. 
You know, we think about all these competing messages that we hear in our lives. And I, I think maybe that last one is the one that hits me the hardest. You know, I, I don't spend a lot of time being afraid. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, I, I, I worry about the world, but I don't lose sleep over it. But man, I, I sure do like stuff. And if someone tells me I deserve stuff, I sure do want to believe it. You know, and, and I sure do want to be defined by it in some ways. It's, you know, I have an iPhone, both because I thought it was the, the, the most usable phone that I could get, but also, honestly, because having an iPhone says something about who I am, right? And are you a Ford person or a Chevy person? That says something about who you are. You know, are you a Lutheran or a Baptist? That says something about who you are. You know, all throughout our lives, we have all these messages from, from either advertisers or from political parties or from different, different places that we're involved in work telling us about who we are and why, should, why we should believe or think or be this way. When we, too, are receiving a message that comes to us from maybe not the lips of angels, but from the mouth of God through the waters of baptism, telling us that we too have an opportunity to participate in the coming of the kingdom of God in, the way, in a way that is new, that is brilliant, that is amazing, by preaching good news in a world that doesn't want to believe it because the world believes what the world has always believed, that it's a hard world out there and we should all be worried and we should all be afraid and it's all going downhill. But what God tells us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the world may be a hard place, but in the midst of your hopelessness, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your broken, dying, bleeding hearts, in those places where you think you may never have life again, I am making all things new. And where the world may hate you, I am sowing love. And where the world is broken, I am giving it a new hope. And where we think that nothing good can ever rise again, I am telling you that in the midst of death, I am giving new life. Because this is what God does for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that, that it's hard to repair a broken heart. And we know that it's awfully hard to move forward when, when our hopes have been dashed and things aren't going to be the way we always wanted them to be. But we hear that God has a plan for that. As, as we go out this week from this place and, and we see a world that doesn't follow the plan that we wished it would follow... And, and we all have those places where we look at the world and shake our heads. Or we look at our, our family and we, we shake our heads. Or we look at our church and we shake our heads. Or we, we look at our own lives and we wonder how things could have ever gotten to be this way. We too are people who hear the same message that Joseph heard. Do not be afraid to have hope in what I am doing because you have been marked with the cross of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you have been called beloved and named holy and called into this place so that you can go out into my world and tell my world that thing which I tell you your whole life long, that there is a place for them in the same way there is a place for you.
How is it that we can bear this message to the world this week as the congregation of faith here in West Columbia, as the South Carolina Senate, as the ELCA, as Eric Wolf, who's a child of God, who's been named and claimed the same as everyone else? How is it that we can bear this message of hope into a world that needs so desperately to hear it? And how is it on those days where we just don't know that we can believe any of it, that, that we're able to hear those messages of hope and those words of love for ourselves? Amen.